Well, it's always great to welcome Bert Craig to MSU today. It must be the holidays because Bert is a professor in the departments of horticulture and forestry in Michigan State University's renowned College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, and among other things, Bert's very knowledgeable and an expert on real Michigan Christmas trees. Bert, good to see you again. Good, good to be here, Russ. So let's start a little bit. Give us a sense of the Christmas tree industry's place in Michigan's economy, and what does the supply look like this year for you know people going out to find one? Sure. So uh, Michigan's a, a major producer of Christmas trees. So we rank number three in the country. So Oregon, North Carolina are ahead of us, but uh, we're right in there. And kind of Michigan's claim to fame, our growers grow a lot more types of trees than those other states. So we are able to sort of, sort of fill a niche here in terms of supplying trees really throughout the eastern U.S. We have growers that ship down into southern states, Florida, Texas, all over. So so we're right in the right in the mix there. Things have been good for the Christmas tree industry, to be honest. Um, you know, hate to say there were good things about COVID, but, you know, we did see people kind of getting back to family, family activities, uh, certainly choose and cut farms that, you know, <laughs> seems like, I don't know, a decade ago, was <laughs> December of 2020. But, uh, you know, we were still looking for outdoor things to do with the family. And so that kind of got a lot of people maybe reintroduced to, to real Christmas trees. And so it has really been a good thing for uh, the market a, as a whole. And so um, you might hear some things in the media, Christmas tree shortage. I don't think people should really be concerned. For most uh, consumers, if you're looking for a real Christmas tree, you're going to find one. Now, there may be some situations, particularly if you go to a choose-and-cut farm, they often have limited supplies because they can only cut so many trees out of their farm. And a lot of times you'll even see where people may go out to a farm and there's a whole block that's maybe roped off or something. And so why can't I cut in there? Well, those are the trees they need for next year. And so they have to you know, deliberately limit sometimes what people can cut. And so maybe the choose and cut farm you've gone to in the past years, you know, maybe they're closed you know, the weekend after, after uh, Thanksgiving because they've already sold out. But there's other farms, there's other lots, so just, just you know, you may have to look around a little bit. You may also have to look for a different tree than you've had in the past. Maybe you've always had a Fraser fir, maybe it's time to try a con color or a different species. So think about those things, but there'll be plenty of trees out there for consumers. Again, there may be that individual lot or individual farm that happens to sell out, and that's just, you know, how things go. But uh, on the whole, there's, there's plenty of trees out there, and our growers have been busy. Uh, the early cold is actually a good thing here. That we had the snow the other day. Uh, we like a little bit of cold for the Christmas trees. That actually helps with their needle set and keeping good needle retention on them. So uh, things are looking good for the, for the industry in here in Michigan. And Bert, what about some of the latest research we're doing on trees? And, and second part of that, how is climate change impacting all of that and how might it more into the future? No, those, those are good questions. So in our program, what we've been focusing on is uh, seedling establishment. So one of the issues our growers have, a major cost and major labor for them is you know, planting the new tree. So uh, people may not realize it actually takes about 8 to 10 years to grow a Christmas tree. That starts with planting a little seedling. You can't see my hands, but it's, you know, <laughs> about a foot and a half tall or so. And that's where they start. And then, you know, they culture them and fertilize them and everything. And it takes about eight to 10 years, maybe about a foot a year once they're established in terms of height growth. 
And so a big thing is getting those trees established. There's transplant stress, there's things that trees go through. And so we've really been focusing on looking at things like uh, using mulch and shade blocks, different things to help minimize the moisture stress. So you alluded to the climate change and, you know, we can argue about, you know, is a right. certain weather pattern, you know, climate change related or not. But we know that we are seeing, you know, more longer droughts, more severe droughts here in Michigan. And oftentimes that's what takes out the seedlings. And so if a grower is planting trees and then he loses or they lose 20% uh, of those, they either have to go back and replant, so there's a cost, or now they just have fewer trees to harvest. So it's so it's definitely impacts their bottom line. So we've been focused on that and really finding some pretty pretty good results. I think we found some things that, that will help the growers out this past year. Again, it's hard to remember back <laughs> to May and June, but things were pretty dry. And uh, so we actually had set up some trials with some growers who had just planted right before we got into that drought. And we were able to demonstrate that, yes, we can improve the soil moisture. We can improve the survival uh, through things like simple things like mulching. So it's a pretty simple step they can take. Some growers irrigate, but not all can. And so this is another avenue that they can uh, use to help uh, keep, their, keep their trees up and growing. Uh, the other things we're working on, so we have another colleague of mine, Debelina Saha. She works on weed control in Christmas trees, and that's a big issue, again, related to moisture stress and all of this. So coming up with uh, better techniques, we're really focused on integrated pest management, not necessarily organic production. We do have some growers that are doing that, but really more you know, using as few pesticides as, as we need to and trying to be as uh, environmentally and economically sustainable as we can. And so part of Debelina's work is, is focused on that. And then back to the, the question of climate change, really it, it has a lot of potential impacts and probably already is. You know, we tend to focus on, you know, drought and heat, and we've already talked about that, but really a lot of the impacts of climate change are really gonna be kind of on the shoulders of the growing season. So when we think about things like more early spring warm-ups, which might sound like a good thing, but for trees it can be hard because they break bud, then we get a frost, and now we've had late frost damage. You think about 2012 when we went through all of that. And so we see those kind of scenarios. We're also seeing things like uh, changes in the distribution of, of pests, insects, right? So warmer winters, oftentimes there's less kill of those insects. And so we see some northward expansion of ranges and things like that. So a lot of those things that you might not think about, the, what we would call the phenology, when things break bud, when insects emerge, all those kind of things are really what are already, we're starting to see some of those impacts uh, here in Michigan. And Bert, sort of related to, to climate change, there's the argument too, is a real tree or a fake tree more sustainable? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so on that, I look at it from a broad perspective. So when we talk about sustainability and, and people study this, it's, they, they talk about the three pillars of sustainability. So it's environmental, you know, are we doing things that are, that are you know, caring for the land, not reducing the resource? Uh, is it economically sustainable? So, you know, how is this impacting our economy and, and so forth? And then is it socially sustainable? So it has to be all those things, uh, you know, to really have a sustainable system. And so when we think about, you know, here in Michigan, for example, all of our farms are family owned. Some of them are pretty big, but they're still family owned and operated. Uh, when you buy a Michigan tree, those dollars are staying here in the state. They're supporting local communities. 
uh, socially, when you look at things that our growers are involved with, many of them are involved with their churches, with their schools, different programs. We have a lot of growers here in Michigan that support Trees for Troops. That's a program that provides uh, real Christmas trees to military families. They have drop-off points. The growers will bring in the trees that they're donating. FedEx actually does the shipping, and those go out to, I think, a couple dozen different military bases wow. around the country. Right. And so so really, think, you know, think about it broadly in terms of sustainability. You know, environmentally, of course, your trees are providing habitat. They're sequestering carbon. They're doing all of those things. But it's way beyond that, especially when we get into the other aspects of sustainability and we think about what's going on economically here and locally in our state and then socially, you know, who's supporting our communities, our troops, all those kind of things. Uh, I think it's it's kind of a no-brainer. But Yeah. This is MSU Today. I'm Russ White talking with Bert Craig. He's a professor of horticulture and forestry at Michigan State University. Bert, let's talk about your tips for selecting, then caring for, and properly disposing of a real Christmas tree. Let's start with the selection of one. Yeah, so, you know, some of it depends on what you're doing. So we have kind of two basic options. People can go out to a choose-and-cut farm. And if you haven't done that, you know, if you've got kids, great, great thing, try it. Uh, many of them will have wagon rides, different things, take you out to the field. So you're cutting the tree, you know, right there. So you know that tree is fresh. So that's a good, that's a good start. Uh, the other option, of course, is to go to a tree lot, either at a big box store or the scout troops, you know, different, different things have, have uh, tree stands. And we really want to make sure we have a, a fresh tree. And so if you're going to a lot, a couple things you want to look for, kind of color, Oftentimes when trees dry out, they get a little grayish cast to them, and you can kind of tell. Certainly do what we call the pull test. And again, you can't see my hands, but I'm making this motion with my thumb and my forefinger where you pull along the, the shoots of, of, the, of the tree, and you shouldn't have needles coming off in your hands. If, if you're starting to see that already, the tree's already starting to shed some, you know, that's, that's a tip-off that maybe the tree was not cared for properly, been on the lot too long, whatever may have happened. If you're able to, uh, if especially if there's like a, a asphalt parking lot or something like that, you can also do what I call the tap test, which is actually pick the tree up and then tap the butt of the tree on the ground and look for those loose needles coming out. And if you're seeing a lot, maybe look for another tree and, and keep going. But that's really key is, is getting a fresh tree to start. Uh, choose and cut, you know, no question, you've got a fresh tree. Uh, sometimes helpful if you do have a, even a choose and cut tree, I find it helpful to actually not bring the tree in immediately, but let it sit overnight, put the cut in, in a bucket of water, let it sit overnight, and then and then set it up. And that seems to, to help a little bit with some of the, the needle retention. Uh, but once you've got the fresh tree, the next one is what we call fresh cut. And so that is taking off, you know, an inch or so of the butt of that tree where they've cut it at the you know, when it was harvested for the tree lot or when you cut it at the U-cut place, but still helps to take off that little bit. What happens is right after you harvest the tree or the tree is cut uh, in conifers, all of our firs, pines that we use, spruces that we use as Christmas trees, they'll, there'll be some resin that will kind of fill up those, those pores on the, on the bottom of the trunk. And so doing that kind of helps to facilitate the water uptake. So that fresh cut is, is really important. And then fresh water and lots of it. And people, I don't think, really appreciate how much water a tree can take up. And some people don't like it when I say this, but uh, your tree is dead, but it doesn't know it yet. <laughs> and so, you know, they, in a sense, still think they're alive. And so they continue to transpire, lose water from their needles. 
And so uh, it's, it's impressive sometimes how much water a tree can take up. And actually, if your tree is taking up a lot of water, that's a good sign. That means you've got a really fresh tree, but you got to keep that water to it. And I recommend checking at least daily uh, the first week or week and a half when you bring that tree in. And you'll be surprised how much water that, that tree can go through. Uh, it's good to avoid uh, you know, putting the tree near a fireplace or a heat vent. If it, if it does need to be near a heat vent, uh, if you can block that off, a little shoebox lid or whatever it takes to, to kind of divert that flow of warm air through the tree, because it will, it will help that tree to, to take up water, which you don't necessarily want to be transpiring too much. So fresh water, there's different things on the internet, uh, bleach, aspirin, <laughs> pop, um, floral preservative. Really, the research that's been done on this, just plain tap water is really all you need. But just more important that you check the level because once the tree is dried up, uh, that kind of interf- inter- interferes with that flow of water through the tree, and it's often difficult to to rehydrate. So you'll often see a tree's taking a lot of water, taking a lot of water. You forget to to fill it the one day, it goes dry, and now when you refill it, it doesn't take up any more water. Uh. So keep that, check it every day, uh, at least every day. And then if it's not drawing down for, for two or three days, okay, maybe you can back off a little bit. But uh, especially that first week, week and a half, um, we recommend uh, for the stands that people look for a stand that will hold about a quart of water for each inch of diameter of the butt of the tree. Most of those trees, a typical seven-foot Christmas tree, it's going to be about a three-inch diameter. So that means that stand should hold about three quarts of water, which is a pretty big stand. And unfortunately, it's often the more expensive stands that hold the least amount of water. You'll see a lot of these that are very you know, antique or decorative sort of thing. They're just a little bit bigger than the, than the diameter of the tree. Well, they're not going to hold very much water. So... Maybe better, you know, you can look for a more attractive stand if you like, but some of these, you know, bigger ones with the plastic bowl or whatever, you know, maybe wrap a decorative blanket around it or something uh, to make it look a little better. But uh, bigger the stand, the better. You really want that plenty of water for that tree. Yeah, I've been using that great one from Tannenbaum Farm since 97. So, yeah. Those, the the pin stand? Yes. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. Yeah. If people have a chance, what we're referring to, there's a system that, if you go to a U-cut farm where the grower has a, uh, it's basically an upside down drill press and it just drills a hole through the bottom of the tree and then the stand has a, a pin that fits right into that drill hole and they're really great, especially if you have big trees. I used to, we used to have a vaulted ceiling and I'd get like a 12 foot tree and my wife was concerned, oh, this is going to fall down or whatever, but they're very stable and so, and they hold a lot of water. So they're, yeah. they're a very good system. If you can, if you go to a U-cut place and they give you the option of, of getting one of those stands, uh, I would certainly do that. And then Bert, when we're through the holidays, your tips on properly and sustainably disposing of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. So we were talking about the sustainability and a lot of the, what we call life cycle assessments where people look at carbon footprints and all of this. And, and the big the big determinant in a lot of this with, with real trees is what do you do with it when you're done. And so we want to make sure whatever we do that those don't end up in a landfill. Um, and so different options depend on where you live. Here in East Lansing, 
they have curbside pickup. So that's pretty, can't get much easier than that. And then those trees are, are ground up and recycled. Also in East Lansing, in many communities, have drop-off points. So Patriarch Park, different parks around the town here where people can drop off trees. So a lot of times if you go to your, uh, if your city has a website, you can probably go there and they may have something about, about Christmas tree drop-off. So that's the big thing is making sure that tree gets uh, recycled. Most places they're ground up, uh, made into mulch, and they use them on the trails or, or different things. So uh, lots of ways to do that. The big thing, just, you know, don't just cut it up and put it in the trash yeah. bin. Uh, that's that's certainly not what we want to see have happen. And Bert, a lot of what we've talked about, uh, listeners can find more at the Michigan Christmas Tree Association site, mcta.org. Talk a little bit about that organization and what, what people might find at the site. Sure. So uh, MCTA is the grower organization for the state. So they have several hundred members that are uh, participating in, in their programs. We do a lot of work with them. We do a lot of education programming to help to support our research. So it's really, really a great, a great thing for uh, consumers, for people that are looking for a tree. The MCTA.org site is great because they actually have an interactive map. So you can go on there either if you're looking for a tree stand or a place to buy trees, or if you're looking for a choose-and-cut farm. So they have uh, member farms on there, so the map of the state, their little Christmas trees indicate each farm, and you can zoom in. If you're you know near a city and there's multiple farms, you can zoom in and see the individual farms. And that's a really good way to go because that will have information about the farms. They'll list the types of trees that they sell, their hours, things like that. Also, usually a contact number, and it's often good if you if you can to call ahead, just make sure what you know. Are you really going to be open at this time? Sometimes, especially choosing cut farms, they can sell out, and so you know you don't want to bundle up the family and get there and oh we sold out yesterday kind of thing. So it's good to call ahead, and they won't mind. I mean, they may even have an answering machine or something, but call ahead, find out. Uh, but a lot of good information. A great way to find uh, a real tree near you is to go onto the mcta.org site, and they can uh, get you lined up. Well, Bert, thanks for sharing all your expertise with us. Again, just summarize what you'd like those joining in on our conversation to take away about real Michigan Christmas trees. Yeah, I think it's it's a great family tradition. I grew up with a German mom, so a real tree was, there was never a debate in our house about what we were going to do. And if you didn't grow up with that tradition, and I think a lot of people now have that, that grow up with artificial trees, but, you know, give it a try. Uh, we certainly don't think about, you know, artificial flowers for Valentine's Day. Um, so why do we think about artificial trees? But I think looking for a real tree is a good way to start a new new tradition. And then making sure that you're getting a fresh tree, caring for it properly so that you have a good experience with it, I think is, is really the way to go. Well, Bert, thanks again. Great to see you. Yeah, good to be here. That's Bert Craig. He's a professor in the Departments of Horticulture and Forestry in Michigan State University's College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. And again, a lot more on what we've talked about, mcta.org. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.